Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adela Marcy Unplugged. I'm your host with the most, as always, Adela Marcy, bringing season five alive and kicking all kinds of ass with it because, well, it's been one hell of a day and so and so far already. I'm really looking forward to having this guest on the show who very thankfully rescheduled me as the one and only Justin Christensen. Justin, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Adel. Thanks for having me. Thank you for rebooking because like, it was crazy because I was like, damn it, I'm so ill, I can't speak to him right now. I'm going to sound like I'm dying and then... You were kind enough to book in like a week and a bit later because I had someone else book in three days after I told them, can we cancel? I was like, ah, <laughs> uh, crap. Can't double yeah. cancel. No problem. It happens. You know, we're yeah. all busy and we, you know, unexpected things come up. So it's all and, good. And also we're men and we know what man flu is like. Yeah. That, that, that shit is real. Yeah, uh, it's 50 times worse. <laughs> yeah, don't, we don't care. You guys can like, we can fight through ailments. We can't. We're not made for this. When it wipes us <laughs> out, it takes us to... It takes us to the grave. Oh, yeah. man. But real quick, uh, shout-outs to our sponsors for this show, which is, of course, you, uh, your site as well. You're the president and which, CEO as well or just president? Uh, of, co-founder and president. Co- co-founder and president of conversionfanatics.com. Go check it out. There you guys can actually realize which ones are uh, which uh, website metrics are the most important for you to focus on actually versus the ones that you think you should focus on. And most importantly, get a free conversion um analysis on your website right but basically they can go through like the checklist to make sure that they've got everything checked off that it yeah works. we'll we'll actually dive deep into their analytics and do a like an, an actual human analyst will come through all of their data um oh, and give them a fancy report yeah so you guys if you have a website and a business that needs to actually increase on its conversions or at least make sure that you actually are hitting all the right checkpoints go do that because you actually get a human for once versus a machine or a report that's just written without you speaking to anyone this is a great way for you to, for you guys to get this as a service um also this episode is sponsored by adelamarcy.com forward slash thrive cart now thrive cart is the card that i use um, I have done since the day that it was incepted. It's again by the same people who make Ordello, uh, Easy Video Suite, and a bunch of other stuff. I, I can't remember what Josh has done, but he's done some crazy good stuff. I use them, and quite a lot of other people in the industry use them as well. The price is, I think, $555 for the one time payment, which is a drop in the water considering it's otherwise sold at $97 a month. And when you go through Thrivecart, um, through that link particularly, I also set up and help you with your, I have a group call for like emails. I'll be showing, uh, sharing with you guys as well. Now, that being said, let's just jump onto this. My first question really about Justin, cause like I followed your work for a number of years. I remember when I, IMSF, where it was that where it was, the way it was like, it became really blatantly obvious that that was your thing, was that you were a conversion specialist. Like you analyzed what metrics really went into conversion rates and how to optimize them. Um, yeah. What really got you fascinated with that? Because that is so niche. Um, well, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to make a whole hell of a lot of money in the digital marketing world. Um, when I first started back in like 2002, it was just the Wild West. And I got fascinated with you could tweak one minor thing and get way more output. So I got fascinated with the psychology behind why people do things online and what the site, you know, what makes them take that desired action, what makes them fill out that form. And um, I had an information publishing company and I had done a bunch of split tests for ourselves and published that information. And I remember one real turning point that, hey, I'm on to something was I added just an animated arrow to a button. And people swiped it left and right because of that particular case study that I published. And I increased our lead generation by like, it was something crazy, like 35% more leads and it produced like an extra $2,000 a day in revenue because of it. Wow. And um, so I've just been always fascinated with why people do and take those desired actions. And, you know, there's no real holy grail or, you know, one specific thing in digital marketing that will get you to the end goal that you're looking to get and the success that you're looking to get. But one thing has come close and that is conversion optimization. We have tested everything from, you know, landing pages and copy and, and people subconsciously do it on a certain level, but they don't do it effectively. So when I sold my previous company, um, I 
basically people just kept asking me like, what the hell are you going to do next? And they said, uh, can you just help me with implementation and optimization? And so I started a small consulting agency, you know, had like nine or 10 clients at a time. And, uh, then my business partner and I partnered up and actually formalized what's now conversion fanatics. That's incredible. Now I do have a couple of questions here because the way that I look at conversion metrics, it's kind of, it's, it's going to sound really weird, but because my mind, um, I'm not very analytical in the way that I, I am to a certain degree, but not to the point where I like reading up on small little metrics and little tiny changes. Um, even the word metrics kind of like slightly creates a visceral response of like trying to move away. Um, that's where my head's at. It Because of something like that, I kind of more or less go on intuition and feeling, which has paid off a lot in like what I know works when I write copy. But what are some of the biggest mistakes people make with say landing page copy when it comes down to the conversion metrics that aren't converting as well? Well, a lot of people focus solely on the conversion rate. Yeah. And, you know, I you know, luckily I'm friends with the guys that coined the term conversion rate optimization back in like 2007, but I'm, I run a conversion rate optimization company and people immediately come and say, oh, you're just going to take my conversion rate from whatever, 1% to 5% and then 6% and then 7%. Um, conversion rate in and of itself is a relative number. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day if your other metrics don't make sense. So I get people thinking about it from a visitor journey or a user experience, user interface standpoint, and then paying attention to what, say, your cost per acquisition is or your average order value is, your lifetime value, and thinking about those other metrics. And if you can make those work, and what I write about in my book, too, is the tipping point. So when your average order value exceeds your cost per acquisition, that's the tipping point. So it doesn't matter what that conversion rate is in there. If you can make those numbers work, then you can massage your conversion rate and your average order value to then be more profitable, if that makes sense. So kind of taking the reverse route around rather than trying to, I'm trying, I'm trying to increase my conversion rate on my opt-in page and then kind of like make up the rest of the numbers. Like, okay, for every hundred people that come in, I guess maybe 3% of them buy my tripwire and then maybe 1% of that 3% end up getting whatever it is. So rather than going that way around, what you're actually saying is make sure that you got the rest of the funnel kind of built and then reverse engineer it. So like no matter what the number of people come in, are, whether it's 50% or if it's 10% of your traffic, it's still profitable to you for that person to run through your funnel. Yeah. I mean, there's cases and funnels are completely different than say an e-commerce store Yeah, because you can analyze a funnel and say, okay, you've got three upsells, you've got a tripwire product, you've got your, you know, your upsells, you've got your downsells, you've got all of those different touch points and you could, people will then start, oh, I just need more leads. I just need more traffic. Well, you could actually generate less leads and make more money. So yeah you focus on the certain elements. So for instance, we had a client that was selling a supplement through a funnel and they're like, Oh, we just need $3 more average order value. It wouldn't have mattered. We could have worked all day long on their checkout process, but that wouldn't have mattered if they wanted to increase their average order value. And if they, if we increase their average order value, $3, they could scale it like 500 times on traffic. So it helps with the scalability. So if we would have focused on their checkout process, that wouldn't have mattered. They would have had more customers come through, but that wouldn't have made the biggest difference. So instead we focused on upsell one and you increase upsell one. Yeah. I think we increased it 28% and you increase that. Now their average order values up by, you know, you get 28% more people that buy your upsell one order values much more Then you can scale up and drive more traffic. So it, it's kind of the chicken and the egg and you people start at the top oftentimes when you might need to start in the middle. That's really smart, especially in that way, in, in the way that you think of it, that in, in that, sorry, the way that I interpret that it's actually a lot more clever than um, a lot more. It's got a lot more depth. So I'm actually visually seeing how you'd actually split all this up. And by the way, I just want to apologize. There might be times where I mute myself just simply because there's some assholes outside doing their work by deciding to build on a rainy day. I have no idea why they do things like that. Just they, they should know that I've got a podcast on and not work for that one hour that I'm doing my show. Yeah, 
It happens every time. I mean, landscapers do the same thing. How dare they? How dare those inconsiderate people? Um, So, like, with that... Hold on a second. I want to talk a little bit longer than I expected and still going, which is fun. But yeah, so the question I really want to ask you particularly, what was it that actually influenced you in that sense to, and I kind of feel like I'm dancing around this way, don't, that's, that's not, sorry, what really influenced you personally to like seek this out as the area of your expertise? Because I know you went through all the other different metrics and you really enjoyed it, but what was it that would spark your interest in such a depth that you're actually like even looking at things such as graphics in the way that they're because i assume you guys look at the coloring of pages to make sure maybe that has an effect because i remember yep. there was a time ages ago where like if it was a red headline and a black sub headline that was a good win but if it was blue and black for some reason didn't convert as well yeah yeah i mean we went through a period where everything was yellow <laughs> i mean you know one person said oh yeah yellow button works now everybody had a yellow button oh yeah and um, then it was a red button for a while and then it was uh, add to cart versus order now that was another one yeah i mean it's i've seen so many different trends and then it was an orange button for a while with navy blue text and i mean it was we've seen all sorts of craziness but for me to focus on the conversion rate side so many people scream traffic yeah i mean you log on to Facebook and everybody's pitching their latest Facebook ads hack. I mean, it's just what it is, but that's a sexy topic. People like traffic. They like to game the system from that standpoint. But what was more appealing to me and where we could bring the most impact was what if we got 10% more of that traffic to do what we wanted them to do um, or buy that product or opt in to become that lead. And what's the psychology behind it? And, that's where, you know, and it isn't a sexy topic because it's hard. You know, what we do is not easy. You know, we have to develop and design and analyze and do all of these things to really figure out where we want to test and what we want to test. But we're really just, and, and I guess where a lot of people get hung up is they think that, you know, prettier is better and I need to have it perfect. And they think what they feel is the best option is the best option instead of thinking about it from the visitor's perspective. So what we do with, because what you or I think at the end of the day doesn't matter. What the marketplace says matters. Yeah. And so what we do is really test to figure out what holds the most weight in the eyes of the visitors. Like you said, do they care about a red button or a green button or an orange one? Do they care about a blue headline or a red headline? Um, do they care about this image? You know, Does the image look to the left or the right? Um, are they clicking on this certain element that, you know, I use the example, you spend all this time and money recording a video and you figure out that nobody's clicking on the video to watch it. That video is pointless. So you might need to move the video or change the hook in the video or, or do something that will get the response that you're looking for from the visitors. You know, are you building enough trust? Is there too many friction points in your process? And we just want to figure out what makes those visitors tick. And what will often happen is you're going to increase your other metrics and improve your other metrics, such as reduce your cost per acquisition. Because if you're identifying and connecting with the audience in a way that appeals to them most as a whole, then you're going to get better results out of that instead of just saying, oh, yeah, you know, my ad's doing this and I'm getting this basic conversion rate. And you know, it is what it is, you can massage that. And what happens is then as a digital marketing landscape changes, you can evolve as the landscape changes. And I say it's basically a competition killer because okay. the majority of people are not effectively optimizing. And yeah, the most effective scalable companies that we have seen, and we work all the way up into Fortune 500 companies, you know, everywhere from companies doing $750,000 a year all the way up to Fortune 500. And the most profitable, the biggest growing, the fastest growing companies are all optimizing. And it helps with so many different metrics. If you weren't optimizing, it's going to be a long, hard road. You know, sure, you can get lucky and you can hit a honey hole of a, you know, traffic source and really blow it out and do what it is you do. But Every company that I see really rapidly growing is optimizing and testing and tweaking and changing and 
adapting. And um, I was fortunate enough on my podcast, which I don't do anymore. I interviewed Perry Marshall, who's, you know, kind of the godfather of pay-per-click and, you know, the 80-20 principle, you know, rules marketing book. And um, he's just a legend. Genius, genius guy. You know, I've followed him since 2005. But he said the only way to get exponential growth in your company and your business is to optimize. He's not wrong. No. And I mean, we see it time and time again where companies will come in and say, you know, we need we need scalability. We need to do this. And, you know, we've helped companies scale eighteen hundred and fifty percent in a year. We've helped companies scale three hundred percent a year, 60 percent in a year um, and get traffic sources that were break even or, you know, maybe slightly profitable to be wildly profitable, you know, taking and this is not even touching the ads. This wow. is just optimizing the user journey and removing those friction points and figuring out what actually the visitors care about most. And, you know, we've taken companies where they weren't profitable on a customer on a subscription type model for five months to be profitable almost day one. You know, reducing customer acquisition costs, 80 percent is our I think that's our high um, we took it from. They were paying like 80 bucks or something. And then we got it down to 10. Wow. Um, another one had $27 customer acquisition costs. We got it down to 13 and we weren't even touching the ads. Wow. So yeah, you just guys, you guys were literally just straight optimizing everything else. And the ads just kind of dropped down in price because obviously it's being clicked on the customers responding. And of course that gives them the idea that this should be subbed up more. Yeah, should yeah, I mean, you got to optimize your ads. I mean, yeah, that's of course, a part of it, but, and you've got to continually look for those new audiences and, and evolve there too. But everything else becomes easier and more effective as you do all of those pieces congruently because you're optimizing your ads. Why aren't you optimizing your visitor journey at the same time? Exactly. That, that is very, very true and quite powerful. And guys, write that down. If you're listening and going, Oh my God, how do I do this? Listen back to that one part. Something that does actually, um, I did want to ask you because you were an information publishing, you guys had uh, an information publishing business. Well, you did at least at one point. What were, what are some of the biggest changes that you're seeing in that landscape since you left? I mean, there's been a lot of changes, but what particular are you seeing right now going forward? Because I've heard everything from information information programs, information marketing programs are all dead to it's never been more profitable than ever before. So it's well, like- <laughs> um, we we it was funny. I spoke at, I spoke at an event yesterday on a panel, and one of the running jokes um, to the audience was that email is dead and <laughs> Facebook advertising is dead. And then, you know, people are saying webinars are dead and my entire 15 plus year career email has been dead. <laughs> um, so, and, and it's, it's funny that people say that is the principles and the, in the, the strategies and such have not changed or the core basics of the marketing has not changed in my entire career. The, the mediums have changed. So it's it's he or she who markets best wins. So I think that nothing's really dead, especially in the information. People are still starving for information and good quality information. But there is a lot of people, because it's kind of leveled the playing field, you know, somebody can go in and set up a ClickFunnels account and then immediately they're a coach or they're an expert and they have a program. Um, and the internet's leveled the playing field and allowed a lot of junk to come into play. So I think, you know, where it used to be, I mean, I've been around the block a couple times in the internet marketing world. So, you know, 2005, it was a wild west. You know, you could throw up an ad. I could rank for any keyword in two days. Um, even you up know, to like 2009, 2010, it was still pretty wild even then. It was. And then the first Google slap came and then, you know, all of these things. But I could run a Google AdWords ad and be profitable in 15 minutes. You know, it's just what it was. So now we've got to really build that trust and where I'm seeing kind of it evolve. And we talked about this on the panel yesterday at the event is it's it's a lot about storytelling. Yeah. We're in a very social, transparent world, whereas in 2005 and six and seven and such, we didn't have this so connected society. You know, we couldn't get 
to the leaders of these companies. We couldn't communicate with these, you know, these celebrities and these experts as much as we can now. You know, we can hop on and ping the president of the United States on Twitter, for God's sakes. Yeah. You know, is he going to respond? Probably not. But, you know, we're, we're having this connected society. So the transparency element is ever more prominent. And I think the better we can tell those stories, the better you're going to be because people's um, bullshit radars are up at an all-time high right now. Yep. And I just want to take a moment to applaud you, Justin, for confirming what I've been telling everyone for a very long time. Well, it is. I mean, we laugh. I mean, you're in my social circles too, and we we troll pretty freaking hard on social media. Yeah. And it's all about the coaches, coaching coaches, how to coach, yep. you know, everybody's an expert. So it's leaving a very, very bad taste in the consumer's mouth Yeah. about, yeah. you know, what it is that they're getting, you know, they're spending these 10, you know, these big high ticket numbers, you know, the 10, the 20, the $30,000, and they're not getting a hundred thousand dollars worth of value. Um, I still remember like back in the day when I was coming up, which was 2008 onwards, that was kind of the big thing. It, it was insane. Like I remember when million, the million dollar day, obviously the whole thing it came a few years before I was there, but hearing about it and how it went on and how like it's, it was somewhat commonplace, but at the same time, it was sold like I think the highest package people had at most times for like a digital information or coaching stuff was like two to maybe five grand, and that mm -hmm. was seen as high and expensive and only for the exclusive. And now I'm seeing people that just started last month going, I charged ten thousand dollars for this thing. I'm like, how long have you been doing it? Yeah, like a week. I'm like, shut yeah. up. Yeah, I mean, I remember back in our old company, I think our highest ticket, and we thought there's no way in hell we're going to be able to sell this, was five grand. Yeah. Crazy we, how times have And we sold 2% of people that went through the – It was we actually sold it on our last upsell. Wow. On a, on a launch, not a webinar, not anything like that. We sold it on our last upsell after they had already seen three upsells, which is a notoriously low converting upsell. We converted it at 2%. Um, back then, but I mean, now if you don't have a $500 to a thousand dollar product, there's something wrong, you know, I mean, yeah. and you know, it, it's, it's changed there, but that's also leaving a bigger sour taste in the mouth of the consumer because they're spending a lot more money to get less quality. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember doing, we did, I think a $1.3 million launch one time and, I think our front end product was 250 bucks. Wow. But it was, it was hard. It was even hard then. I mean, I remember some of the original gangsters in the internet marketing world that I'm fortunate enough to be friends with. They're like, there's no way in hell you guys are going to do a million dollars. And where I remember being on Skype because we didn't have all the cool technology anymore. Uh, back then um, it was just Skype and we were chatting back and forth. I'm like, Hey, you know, okay, 800,000. All right, 900,000. And we watched it and then the last day hit and we hit 1.3 million. But, you know, it, it is, I'm seeing a lot of it and people scream it all the time that people buy from people that they know, like, and trust. And we're even seeing it in the e-commerce world where companies and visitors are seeing a product and they're immediately going to the about us section. They want to know that this company is legit. They want to know, you know, reviews are driving things a lot heavier now and real reviews. And that's why, you know, we've got all of these, you know, trust pilot. Um, you know, we live in the Amazon worlds where everybody we know that those are real reviews. You know, Amazon polices them very hard. So they they follow the people that they know, like and trust. And the better we can do that, the better we can market to the audience and the better we are going to do, and that's going to cut down a lot of the clutter. And thankfully, Facebook is helping a lot in that marketplace and cutting down some of the people that are trying to game the system. Yeah, no, I agree with you entirely. And I've you seen know, a few like, good casualties come out of it too. But um, as know, a overall, it's a hit. It's a sacrifice hit that you're willing to make for the greater good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just... I got my I got my business manager account shut down because Damn. we have it tied to when we used to run traffic for people, we had it tied to a, um, two companies 
that still had we had access to, but we hadn't touched in like three years. And those com- companies got flagged and in turn, we got taken down with it. Yeah, so being extra careful with that stuff would be advised. Um, one of the things I really did want to ask, particularly, uh, or actually not so much ask, but like comment on, is this idea right now that there is still this wide open gap that people really could look at as an idea, and this is just an idea that came to me, is you could really develop a price and product at the same range that the old, like the prices they were like, like 10 years ago, like an ebook for 37 or 47 bucks, maybe a $97 upsell, and then maybe two or three upsells later have a $500 to $1,000 upsell price point there. Yes, you will make less money initially, but you'll have a more constant stream if you think about like someone like Marlon Sanders, who's been doing this for God knows how long, right? He's been doing it forever. And his stuff still crazily sells even at a low point and still turns over a really good figure for him. Yeah. I mean, people immediately jump because it it is. People are jaded now and we've got everybody teaching how to get these high ticket. You know, I just logged into LinkedIn this morning and I had six linked requests for people that are high ticket closers. Oh my god, are you everyone jumps onto the fucking buzzwords, man. It just really annoys me. It's 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 stupid. So they teach that, oh yeah, you can bring on these clients for five grand, you can do all of these things, you can immediately start an agency. Um, and people just want good quality information. And if you, if it comes down to 37 bucks, it's 37 bucks, you know, and I don't think it's, it's necessary to immediately jump into that $5,000 price point or even that thousand dollar price point. And like you said, you're going to make less money per se, but you're going to have a whole hell of a lot more customers. And that, in the long run, is going to serve you way more than like a short-term gain. Now, the yeah. other aspect as well, I can't remember who has said it, but it was one of the um, one of the one of our mutual friends that basically said this. That they said something along the lines of, "No one wants to be uh, an amateur or an a or, or a C-list copywriter anymore," because that's where he was coming from. And he goes, "I'm just tired of everyone coming in going, yeah, I'm an A-list or I'm gonna charge A-list of fees." And you're like, "You're nowhere near A-list, mm-hmm. like not even close." And you're like saying that you're going to go ahead and charge this much that uh, there is uh, this much money for what you do. Um, and as someone that's in that world, it, it used to bug the shit out of me. Now I've just realized I've just got to beat them up the wrong game. Like, you know, make sure get in, get do better than they do and make sure the audience knows exactly what the difference in quality and product is. Makes yeah, I mean, difference. there is a lot of junk in the I mean, I came up as a direct response copywriter. You know, I, I remember being top dog when I, when I charged, you know, I think I made 10 grand to write a sales letter one time. And I thought I was just the shit yeah, on, on top of the world. And I was mediocre copywriter. And I mean, I got results because I was just fanatical about making sure it converted. Um, and there's a lot of guys out there, like you said, they say they're a list, but they're going to, they're going to find out quickly that, you know, unless their client is a fanatical tester, you know, I can't remember who it was. Was it Halbert or was it somebody? I can't remember who it was. Maybe Michael Fortin or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, back in the day said, he goes, I'm not that great of a copywriter. My clients are just fanatical testers. Yeah. You know, and he was a phenomenal copywriter. I mean, uh, oh, yeah. it was I don't think it was Halbert, but it Halbert's, was- in, well, Halbert's up on some crazy pedestal that, you know, he's not to be touched in a lot of cases. Um, yeah, I think... But- um- my egotistical uh, rant at Bond a couple of years ago was hilarious because like he encouraged me, which made me laugh so much more. Because um, I jokingly said, I seen him on the show. I think I, I jokingly said something like, "Oh, don't worry, my goal is to dethrone your dad by the time I hit 40. He's like, "Seriously?" I was like, "Well, by the time I hit 40, I would have been doing this for 28 years, so mm-hmm. I've got a pretty good fighting chance." And I think Bond's only response to me back was. Hey, man, if you believe you can do it, you should totally go for it. I'll back you 100%. I was like, that's really nice. But I also mm-hmm. know what you're saying. So it's it's kind of awesome. Yeah, I mean, and you're never – I am I mean, people put me in the category of conversion expert, but oh, I'm exactly. just awesome at being better than I was yesterday. Yeah. You know, and- all I try to do is just just like in testing and just like in copywriting, you're always out to beat the control. Um, my good friend, Eric Graham, who's a phenomenal copywriter in his own right, um, and conversion person, he just says testing is like a video game, but except 
for high score, you make more money. So you just always go out to beat your control and you just go for that high score every day. And I look for that in every area of my life and, and business to just try to be a little bit better than we were before. And if you just live by that, you're eventually going to become it's going to become fluid and just kind of a habit in the way that you go about things. And copywriting is no different. The more you practice your craft, the better you're going to be at it. Yep. And it's just like speaking on like some little things as well as you pick up over the years, it's like the little tiniest things. As long as you keep yourself as a student in that world, you'll always pick something, uh, something new up every single day. I mean, there's stuff that I look at with you that I sometimes think I was like, Holy shit. I didn't even think of doing that. Yeah. I should have and- done this. And it's the it's the great thing about, you know, doing what I do. Um, I get to see a lot of things across a lot of businesses that are very effective and some stuff that really isn't that effective. And it's just a real humbling kind of experience to see that. And, and it helps me evolve in all other areas. You know, I stood in a room yesterday standing right next to a guy actually there was there was three of us standing there and two of them make over 100 million dollars a year wow in their businesses and you know i got to shake hands with michael dubin from dollar shave club yesterday wow um you know just some phenomenal people that just went after it and got some f- fantastic results and were able to scale and grow very quickly and you know, they all are all about tweaking and, and making things better and, and doing what's best by, you know, their customers. You know, one of the guys was um, Joel Marion from Biotrust. No. You know, they they did 100 million their first year. And I'm luckily I'm friends with Josh Bazzoni, the the other founder. And I sat on a panel with him about, I don't know, six months ago. And he just said, we thought we were going to do 5 million our first year. Wow. They did 100. And they truly care about their customers. They give back to make a wish. They do all of these things for the greater good of society and, you know, the marketplace. They, they actually care. And that's, that's one thing I believe that people will be set apart from and cutting, going back to the comment of, you know, all of the, the bullshit that's in the marketplace is those people will, will get their rug yanked out from under them. It's just a matter of it. If you don't deliver and that's the big thing, you know, I lose sleep every single night in a lot of cases worrying about making sure we're delivering for our clients. Yeah, no, I, I definitely can relate to that. I mean, just as we're like filming this, the reason I said they've been kind of up like all night, I, um, I usually don't like doing short deadlines for clients. I just don't like it. Like I have a set number of weeks that I need to get something written, especially if I'm helping someone transition out of one market to another and their brand new client. But I stupidly thought that it was going to be something else. I took on a, a job with like a 10 day turnaround, which I don't oh. like doing. Yeah. For, for someone I'd never written before, before. And not even at a price that I usually charge. It was completely, it was just more or less with someone who was a friend. I know I can help him out. So I'll do this favor for him. And I got like, it was the same thing. I got ill like in the last 10 days. So I had to like, kind of like, I couldn't work because I was getting light sensitive and sneezing. I didn't want to like sneeze all over my screen. In the end though, I said, I told my client, look, I'll get the, I'll get the copy over to you before the end of Wednesday. I mailed that in at 6am, this uh, 6am today, my time, which is still 10 a, a 10 PM his time. So technically I was still in the zone of actually getting it in. But I pulled an all nighter because I was like, is this, am I doing right by my client? I don't mm-hmm. want to do that because I have done that before where I've 2018 was marred by that, by me being late with work. It was marred with not being able to deliver what I always wanted to deliver. And I never knew why yep. this year figured that shit out. I was like, never doing that again. I'm going to go back to the guy that like I hired him on Thursday and the cop, and he said it'll be done in six weeks. He actually really wrote the whole thing in two days. Uh, it was done. It was, he just made me wait for five weeks because he wanted to see if he can come up with something better. I that's the kind of guy I want to go back to being. And that is the kind of guy I'm going back to being because that's who I am. And it is. And I, I say, you know, I'm never late for anything. And if we push back deadlines and such in, even in our company, all hell breaks loose in here. I, I am not a happy person. If we have to hit deadlines, if we say where it's going to be done by Tuesday, it gets done by Tuesday. I don't care what we have to do. If you have to set the realistic expectation that it's going to be Thursday instead of Tuesday, set it for Thursday, but never miss that deadline. 
Okay, um, so so that's something I do want to ask you is because it is the case of being integral. And though even though like me saying this, yes, I do keep my I keep my integrity as a high cost as I can keep it too and always strive to keep an excellent reputation amongst my clients and people I work with. But obviously there are times that I will slip up and I know that. It's owning them that really, really, really helps out. But my question for you is as someone that is looking to constantly move forward and become more um Oh God, what's the word? They want to become more integral to their approach in life and business. What would be some of the rules that you actually stick to that are hard and fast? Because like, I know one of them is definitely be your word. I mean, if you're going to get done on this day, get done on that day. Do what you say and say what you do. But is there any other, are there any other rules that you follow personally that help this integral lifestyle? Um, I mean, that really comes down to it. I mean, that's that's the core of everything. And I think the other element of it is communication. Mm -hmm. Um, and I always say this, if anything ever goes wrong with a client relationship, you know, I'm in the agency world, it happens. You know, we have clients that are upset, expectations were missed or, or something wasn't translated correctly. Um, you know, and at this point we deal with over 30 different companies. It's, and it's growing. So we have to really work on our communication strategies and styles. And I, if anything ever falls off the rails, it's somebody didn't communicate effectively happens 100% of the time. So we be, we, we kind of have, um, kind of one of our core philosophies here at conversion fanatics is over communicate. If there's something to communicate, communicate it. Um, I never want a client to come to me and say, Hey, where is this at? Or where's that? I want them to feel that they're being taken care of um, from that standpoint. So just do what you say, be honest in that, and make it right by the client in any way, shape, or form. You know, whatever I have to do to make it right, um, because our reputation is the only thing we have. And I don't want to burn bridges. You know, it happens. It's it's what it is. Um, you know, something goes completely off the mark but i don't want that to happen i want to mitigate that as much as possible so the better i can be about communicating um, and delivering on those expected results and showing progress i think is another thing um and you know we want to continually be pushing the ball down the road um not just sitting on our haunches and waiting for something you know, I want to, we set up a test and I want to be on, move it on to the next one. I want to have that next one in queue waiting. So we don't have those delays and those downtimes um, are, are some of the things that I really follow in our business to keep that integrity up and just, just being a straight up honest human. I mean, and it passes along too. I mean, I've got a big staff, I've got all of that stuff and I make sure I pass that on to them that, and our clients and through them that I truly care about it. I'm not just the president and co-founder that is out of touch with what's going on in my organization. I truly care about it. I chimed in, we had a, and just in full transparency, we've had a week from hell. Um, just fires and, and stuff popping up and it's not all roses and butterflies. I drove up to Dallas to be part of that event uh, on Tuesday afternoon. And my phone blew up my entire three-hour drive. Wow. I was getting buzzed every 30 seconds. And I finally had to mute all my notifications because I got tired of hearing it buzz. And then it brought up my anxiety level. And then I immediately got to where I could get Wi-Fi and, you know, put out some fires and reassured some clients and did all of these things. And it's it, it just happens. But we want to just make sure we learn from that experience, um, we had a few clients chime in that they weren't getting the reports for some reason. Um, so we went into the conference room, we sat down, it's like, okay, we, something's broken here. We had four clients in the last week say that they were missing reports and they wanted different level of reporting. So we created a new process around reporting and improving on what we can improve on and what we can control. So we just improved on that process. And now we improved on one other process this week because of what happened um, earlier, you know, a couple of days ago, we, we've already put the balls in motion to improve that. 
And if we can be just 1% better and just really stand behind our product and know that we truly care and we are delivering on what it is that we are promising to our clients, you know, we can, the only way to go is up. Yeah. If that no, no, that makes complete sense because right now you're, you guys just something I find very admirable about you. And it sounds really strange when I say it out loud, but it is something I truly admire about you is the fact that even after all these years, after everything, you still get anxiety when something goes wrong and you're like, I have an email from this client that I need to read and it doesn't sound good by the subject line, whatever it is, but you can, you get the anxiety like mm-hmm. creep up on you. And it's not an anxiety of like, oh my God, what if something's wrong? And I'm a terrible, it's more or less like, oh shit, what if something wrong went wrong for them? And I really care about them and I want to make sure they're okay so I can reassure them. But also what can I do in this moment? And it's just that level of care that you have that's so admirable because like so very few people have that. I've seen it with people where they take money from a client and just run. Yep. No, that's not it. When yeah. when I get when money exchanges hands, it's down to business. Oh, straight and, up. And it's it's all talk until then, and then it's it's time to roll up your sleeves and, and get it done. And I and I do. I, I care about what happens with our clients. And what's even the bigger picture of that is we work with some great brands that help thousands of people every single month with their products. So it's much bigger than me and the client relationship. It's the client and their customer relationship. We're helping them better deliver their products and services to help then help so many others. You know, we're impacting millions of lives, you know. They and a lot of people don't see that they like you said, they take the money and run. But these people are out to get an outcome and improvement. And, you know, we've got companies that have employees themselves. So if they make more money, their employees make, you know, get rewarded. And, you know, it's it's a trickle down effect. So when I get anxiety around it, it's because of that. And it's it's not about me. And I, I told my wife this, you know, when we started hiring staff and. I was going through a kind of a rough period of, you know, transitioning and, you know, growing, growing pains of a, of a company. I told her, I said, it's not about us anymore. It's, it's about so many other things. You know, I've got a office full of staff that have families and, you know, bills to pay and all of these things. It's, it's, I have to do right by the clients because that's what pays the bills. Yeah. Cause you have a lot more responsibility by the people and I can, I don't know if you actually went th- went through this, but I'm assuming you did. It's the idea of like when you start hiring someone, that whole feeling of I'm hiring someone. This is going to be important, but more, but just as important as that, it's that weird moment of doubt creeps into your mind, going, "What if I don't make that one month? What if am I ready to really take on someone onto the company?" At least that's one of my anxieties that I get is whenever I think about hiring someone is, "What if it all goes wrong?" What if I mm-hmm. can't pay them? What if this happens? And then like immediately at the end of that, it's okay. I need to settle down mentally and go, right, I got this because this is my motivation now is that mm-hmm. I have to make sure I do right by people, not only because it is right, but because other people are depending on me for it. Oh, there was times in Conversion Fanatics history where it's like, how in the hell are we going to pay payroll this month? Yeah. Um, you know, it, it's just, and you know, it might happen again. Who knows? Um, but we just try to be, like I said, a little bit better than we were yesterday. You know, it compounds. I'm not looking for home runs here. I'm looking for base hits. And there was a period of time where Manish and I didn't get a paycheck for six months. You know, it's because, but the staff got paid um, and our bills got paid, but we sacrificed that for the greater good. And there was a point in time we went to sponsor an event. I was talking about this with our VP of marketing um, yesterday at the event. I was like, there was a point in time where we went to, we sponsored an event that cost us like 25 grand. And it was like the last 25 grand. (laughs) And we said, we have to bring in 10 clients out of this deal. We have to like, or we might not be around in two months. Um, You know, so people see the good side of things, but they don't see the bad. But we ended up bringing in 10 clients at that event and we got out of the funk and we had to do a lot of adapting and, and, and adjusting and really soul searching and, and 
and adapting to what the marketplace was telling us. And unfortunately, in the, the agency game, it isn't like you change it today, you see the results tomorrow. You change it today and you see the results in six months um, versus I can run a split test and I know what, in a couple of days whether it's going to work or not. But in the agency world, it isn't that way. So we had to kind of go on good faith and our good intuition and just listen to what everybody was telling us. And fortunately, it worked out and we saw, you know, double digit growth because of it. So um, and it all just comes back down to actually giving a shit about your clients and your customers in, in that sense. I mean, even if you're selling a consumer product, you know, to a B2C, I sell B2B, um, but our clients sell B2C is just care about your customers. Um, one person on the panel yesterday said, just be available, comment on that Instagram post, or if somebody comments on your post, DM them back, you know, just truly care. And the more real and human nature you can have behind that, the better off you're going to be in the long run. And, and so many people, especially in our world, they live in the launch mentality where they're just going after that next big launch and they're trying to hit those home runs constantly instead of working to grow a brand and have some sustainability and some some growth long term versus just oh yeah I've got this trick this week and I'm going to launch a program and I'm going to make you know 50 grand and I'm going to move on and I'm going to then I'm going to move on to the next one I mean that, that how many softwares out there how many freaking JVZoo software launches have you seen where they don't work they don't times. the product in two months yeah, it's basically like, oh, this is out of date. So you got to update. It's like, oh, we can't update because we haven't even done the update. And it's like, yeah, it gets frustrating. It's one of the reasons, if I may just talk about this for a moment, it's one of the reasons why the copywriters room, my, like, my copywriting course, I tested different price points. I wrote the sales letter to that. And by the time the show comes out, I would have actually updated it to the new VSL that we've got them writing as well for it and the upsell. But none of that came like, okay, I have this battle plan. It's going to be this much, and there's going to be an upsell. There's going to be this. There's going to be this. It was just very much, I don't want a big JV launch with it. I kind of want to buy like a 1,000 clicks to it, test and see what I can optimize with a 1,000 clicks and see what my lifetime customer value is, see where I'm going right and wrong, and then mm -hmm. reverse engineer that. So the next time I buy a 1,000 clicks, if I bought a 1,000 like website clicks to my page for whatever reason, like if I did um, solo ads for it because it's it, it would be relative. If I did that and I paid a thousand, uh, I did a thousand clicks for it, and I only got four sales out of it, that is an abysmal low conversion rate. But that still tells me that hey, that's a zero point four percent for you. So okay, how do you get that up from zero point four? I now have a baseline to start with. Mm -hmm. And it's yeah. all about, and, and it's what you say. It's basically constantly improving one percent a day. Now. I did have a question for you here, particularly. It's one of my favorite questions to ask on the show, and it's one that I'm gonna I'm gonna throw a little bit of a curveball at you because I changed it up a little bit. And that is, if you were to like recommend five books for someone to read that really influenced you, that you'd be like, I wish you would read this. What five books would they be? And here's the here's the little split for you. Three of the books are nonfiction, but two of the books can either be fictional or movies that impacted you. Oh. That is a curveball. Oh, I thought I'd throw um, that in there. I'm a voracious reader. Mm -hmm. So I I guess three books that jump out to me are Playing to Win by A.G. Laffley, who is the founder of Procter & Gamble. Mm -hmm. um, Work the System. And Top Grading. Ooh are top grading that work the system and top grading are basically our Bibles here. Um, because I was notorious for not letting go. So it was, if it's going to be done right, it's going to be done by me. So luckily my business partner balances me that out. He's like, I don't want to do it. I'm just going to hire somebody to do it. Um, so that really helped us in our hiring and, letting go and setting up systems and processes and finding the right people for the right roles. Um, Influenced by Cialdini is one of my all-time favorites. Um, mm -hmm. One thing, I, it's a movie slash not a movie. It's more of a documentary, but The Men Who Built America. Excellent. Which is the, you know, the Rockefellers and, you know, all of the Carnegie, that, Carnegie, and, Carnegie and 
you know, the industrial age and all of these things back when railroads were the thing. Um, that's been very inspiring. And believe it or not, and I know a lot of people might balk at this and be turned their nose up at it, but is Atlas Shrugged. Wow. Um, you know, you can believe it or not, but it's just a very, I think it's a very good story. Um, behind it and it's crazy that some of the stuff is actually coming to fruition from it given that it is a fictional book um but even though it's a very difficult and very long read <laughs> um i like i like the storyline behind it and it's kind of got me thinking differently uh, about how i approach business that's excellent because that's um it's really interesting i've got atlas shrugged but i've never actually sat down to read it because every time i did it just it was one of those books that um, I think I need I need to read it at the right age because mm-hmm. reading it too young, uh, it, it, it just for some reason I was like, man, this book's uh, at the time. I think my perspective was this book seems very um, what's it called because her entire philosophy is on being very objective on everything. Yeah. Um, so at that, that time at my age, I was like, no, this doesn't sit right with my ideals and I don't know what's going on. Now I'm a lot. Now I'm, I'm older. I'm looking at it going. I could really reread this book. Just curious, yeah. What, I mean, what was sorry you were saying? It was just comes down to the capitalistic nature of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know that it, it's just that. I mean, I, and I look around and even thinking about that book. And it's funny that we talk about this now. Is my wife and I actually just sat down and watched the movies, the Atlas Shrugged movies, which are absolutely terrible. Low quality production but um they're they're just it's a good story but i just think and i look around from the capitalistic nature of things is everything around us came from that i mean i'm looking at my desk and there's a pen and there's a calculator and there's you know my airpods and there's paper that the checks were printed on and you know the can that my water came in you know everything came down from that capitalistic society or nature that somebody had a vision, somebody had a dream to create something and they built it into a thriving business and brand because of it. Yeah. And that's powerful in its own right when you actually realize that is how our basic forefathers and ancestors basically created everything mm-hmm. we have. Um, one of the other questions I wanted to quickly ask because I was looking at getting this book, what was the second or third book that you named? It was After Work, The System. Top Grading. Top Grading, that's the one. I was trying to figure out what it was. So you only got the top part, top grading. Uh, and that is by, if I remember correctly, that is by Bradford D. Smart. I right? believe so. Yeah, yeah, it's the logo with the arrow pointing up. up on the eye. Yeah. Got it. So that's being ordered to my house this week so I can actually read it because it'll be good to actually have. Now, one of the things I really wanted to ask you as well, particularly, Justin, considering you've had such a long-lasting career, it's, and I know we've all gone through this. In fact, you actually told me just a moment ago that you went through this. When your confidence is really knocked, like, you know, to the point where you're like, I don't know if I can do this anymore, what is it that gets you back up? Like, what was it that really rose you back up to, like, confidence? Ooh, I, I went through a bad period of this, like, two and a half years um, of... You know, I was at the time I was gaining weight. I was heavily drinking. Um, you know, I, I was 70 pounds heavier than where I am now. Um, and what really got it through me was just realizing that it is a bigger picture than me and really meditating and working on myself. Um, because I kind of found a direct correlation through the years that the more I work on myself, the better and easier business gets. So if I'm not reading, I'm not going to the gym, I'm eating like crap, things go wrong because my head is not there. And I went through that period of about two and a half years where something happened and I, we won't get into that, but something happened that really just sucked the wind out of my sails. And luckily I had some very good friends that kind of revived that confidence in me. And then got me thinking about it from the standpoint of my personal well-being. And, you know, we, we talk about personal development all the time um, in our worlds, but it's, it's true. You know, I, I've seen it. If I haven't been to the gym in a while, if I haven't, you know, eaten the best and I find myself eating a lot more junk, I feel sluggish. I, my mind's not clear. And 
I just can't be confident and deliver my best self to what it is that I'm, I'm set out to do for that day. Um, you know, even today I looked at my calendar this morning and I'm like, Oh, I can't. Cause I drove three hours back last night. Didn't sleep that great for the last two nights. And, you know, I just have to really get into different mental headspace. So, you know, meditate for a little bit, uh, read a little bit just to, to spark some ideas and really push myself forward. That is powerful. That is really powerful because I personally, for me, I'm making a note to future self. Whenever I hit that thought process, come back to listen to this because one of the things that really, um, well, you've seen it, Justin. I'm sure you, you actually commented on a couple of things. You saw my 2018. That like I posted quite a lot of that online because I needed to like stop letting it just be me suffering in my own head. That year was a fucking car crash. Yeah. And what's crazy is that I was thinking about it this month. The thing that really changed it for me, that really helped me, was again Andy Hassan's advice. But it was a myriad of small little like things that I had to do. Like for for instance, Sean Stevenson said, and straight similar to what you said, create a self love checklist. Like what is the thing that you do that gives you the most love, that makes you feel happy, and have like a shorthand version on your phone and a physical version laminated in your pocket. The reason is anytime you feel depressed, sad, unconfident, whatever it is. Stop, look at your self-love checklist and see which ones you're not doing and start doing them. Yep. That's, that's essentially what it is. And, and people say, well, I don't have time. I have this, I have this, you know, I have two kids. I'm married. I run a business. Um, we've got all of these things. Um, and it, it makes it, I just make sure I schedule it in, you know, I don't miss a workout now. I don't, you know, I, I schedule in specifically what I need to get done for that day. And I live and breathe by my calendar because I can get it all in. And and I'm home every day for dinner with the kids and put them to bed, you know, if I'm not traveling. And I try to keep that to a limit. But I, I go through and, and do that. And 2011 for me was my car crash. So I I know exactly what it is, but yeah, you have to just pay attention to yourself because then you can bring your, your best self to everybody else. You know, your, your mood's better. You know, they, they feed on it. You know, if you've got a staff or if you've got clients, they feed on it. If you're struggling or frustrated and, and angry, they're going to pick up on that. So the better headspace you can be in and sure you're going to have those days where you're going to be, you know, stressed out and want to burn the place to the ground. (laughs) But it you can come out of it and it's it's the marathon it's not the sprint yeah that is what it is and so you got to keep that in perspective and one of the biggest truths i want to add on to what you said right there is to expect obstacles mm-hmm. when, you, when you expect obstacles things once you actually mentally as you said you just plan and prepare to a certain degree as well but you also have to have like a little bit of freedom of creativity but when you expect obstacles, it makes life and planning so much easier because one of my biggest bad habits I have is whenever I get money after I've paid off my bills and I see there's an excess of money in my account, my brain goes yep. immediately to, let's, spending, let's spend it on something stupid because yep. this money is always going to keep coming. But one thing I realized, cause, and it's kind of embarrassing to say because I'm, I'm 29 and it's insane that I'm thinking like this, at, at least I thought like this for a really long time, was now it's whenever money comes in, it's like, split it up gray area until the client deal is closed that money's 100 percent mine don't touch it money that's in my account that's for everything x amount always in savings just to basically create that barrier barrier so at least i have at least three to six months worth of rent saved up at any given point yep it just makes life a lot easier because when you play with those rules it really does work i mean don't get me wrong there are times where you know you will go through a phase where everyone drops off at the same time but having that safety net was, is, is now key. And we changed our philosophy and our mindset before we were just uh, for the last couple of years, we've been, let's just get more clients. You know, we just need this number of clients to be this successful in this. And, and I changed my mindset this year to be like, and it's hard for me to embrace because I want to please everybody as far as our clients and I want them to stick around forever, but clients are going to come and go. Um, and I've really embraced that this year that I can't have lifetime clients for every single thing. Some are going to drop after four months. 
Some are going to, you know, want out early in the contract. Some are going to stick around for six months. And on average, they stick around for 10. But I just know that we're in it to, if we just continually deliver that, bring on more clients, I think that mindset shift for us is going to help us with the triple digit growth that we're looking to achieve this year uh, for the company um, because we're not so dwelling on keeping the last client, you know, keeping every single one of them. But we just got to put those checks and balances in place to mitigate some of that turnaround and make sure we're just delivering what it is that we promised and the rest of the cards will fall where they fall and they're going to fall in our favor. That, that is a great mindset to definitely have. Real quickly, I just want to say thank you so much for actually taking the time to be here with us, Justin. Because like on that note, because it's insane. My, my, my mind's blown. I'm actually, t- you can't see me right now, but I'm actually taking notes on that last part as well. Just sat there going, oh, that's a really good thing for me to remember that I need to write down. Um, it makes life a lot simpler. Um, and I want to thank you again for being so open with us and sharing your story, but more importantly, sharing the challenges that you went through and actually coming out the other side kicking ass. So I applaud you for that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, thanks for having me. I'm always happy to share, and I'm I'm usually pretty transparent and open with the struggles and the good times alike. Yeah, definitely. All right, guys, uh, go check out conversionfanatics.com. Get your free website analysis there. And more importantly, just like follow Justin. He's a really good dude. Um, and that's there's, there's no higher thing I can say about this guy except for like, yeah, I, I think his stuff is just groundbreaking and brilliant. So guys, go check out conversionfanatics.com and I will see you on ne- next week's podcast. Take care.